Low Energy Reimagined Series, bringing diverse perspectives on the intersection between energy, technology, and tangata in Aotearoa. Brought to you by the Energy Academy. This podcast series showcases over 50 esteemed speakers navigating our four big LUMO themes energy and humanity, energy tomorrow, just transition, and energy's future story. Thank you to our partners Orion, Genesis Energy, Ara Ake, Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, also known as ECA, Christchurch New Zealand, Ministry of Social Development, and Ara Institute of Canterbury. I'd like to introduce you to Lee and Dewey who are sharing their perspective on energy and humanity, one of the four major themes of LUMO. We are exploring how far we have come and how far we could go with energy, and its complex relationship with humanity and papatuanuku. Lee and Dewey originally were going to be sharing this as their keynote at an in-person LUMO event, but due to event restrictions because of COVID-19, we're sharing it here instead. Welcome to Lee Gardner, Ngāte Tūwhare Tōr. He is currently the Head of Growth and Performance at Orion Electricity Services Subsidy, Kinetics. She holds a law degree from University of Canterbury and has held executive positions for 20 plus years in the area of HR, health and safety and marketing and communications. She has an extensive experience in privately held, publicly listed and public sector organisations. Additionally, she has worked for eight years in Canada and held the position of Associate Executive Director for federal government not-for-profit, focused on improving Aboriginal education in British Columbia. Lee assumed her first intern governance role with the City Care Board in December 2020. And welcome to Dewey Sakayan. Dewey is a litigation lawyer by day and a climate activist by night. After project managing a relief mission in the aftermath of Super Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, Dewey started working on disaster management, climate change policy and grassroots campaigning. She facilitated academic research, published policy briefs, participated at the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change COP negotiations, sold premium electric vehicles via Tesla, and campaigned for the Zero Carbon Act through Generation Zero. As a young lawyer and activist, she is passionate about using her legal skills to properly enforce New Zealand's environmental commitments in court. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Ka nui te mihi kia koutou. Ko tongariro te maonga, ko tūwharitoa te iwi, ko ratuaira nuatia te moana, ko wairehu te awa, ko nātihi kairu te hapu, ko te wharerangi te tangata, ko ligadna toka ingoa, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. I'm very privileged to be speaking today. I was so looking forward to being in the same place at the same time as all of the talented, creative thinkers and activators who had planned on attending the LUMO Symposium, but it wasn't meant to be. We are lucky to have the technology to be able to pivot to meet the circumstances. Before starting, nā mihi nui ki te mana whenua, nā tuahiriri, I would like to acknowledge the traditional territories of Naitahu, whose whenua we speak from today. I remember back in June 2021 when Dean Breyer of the Energy Academy first asked me to deliver a keynote address for this event today. It sounded awesome, so I said yes, which is usually my go-to position. As I've watched the list of Symposium whānau grow and seen the names of all the incredibly knowledgeable and capable individuals from the energy sector and beyond appearing, I found myself a bit bemused at my selection, and I'm not just being humble. Later, Dean Breyer clarified that I'd been asked to give a perspective from my people role in energy and from the perspective of tangata whenua. Whilst I have 20 plus years of HR and culture leadership experience under my belt, I'm only two years into the energy sector and very new to my journey with my own whakapapa, something I started to explore around five years ago. I let you know this so that we're clear that I claim only fledgling expertise in the energy arena and in Mataronga Māori, Tikanga Māori and Te Reo Māori. 
But I do know people and I do know organisations. What I can also tell you is that I'm passionate about energy, people and te ao Māori. And so it is in this context that I share my thoughts with you today on the intersection of energy, humanity and technology. I'll kick off by telling you a little bit about my role. I joined Kinetics in 2020, attracted by the vision and passion of then-CEO John O'Brent, also the architect of our LUMO host, the Energy Academy. Kinetics is an end-to-end -end energy infrastructure contractor and we offer design, build, maintain services to our primary shareholder, Orion, and other EDBs and private networks around Aotearoa. At the time Jono recruited me, he'd already been working on a future strategy with the Orion board led by Jane Taylor. This future strategy would transform Orion from a traditional electricity distribution board into a future-focused strategic energy heavyweight that focused on delivering a low-carbon future and meeting the existing and emerging energy needs of the consumer. There were other important goals like reducing energy poverty and contributing to regional prosperity, but most importantly for me was that Orion wanted to execute this strategy by partnering with and leading across the wider energy sector in a way that hadn't been contemplated before. Needless to say, I was in. I wanted to be part of changing the national narrative around what energy was, how it was consumed, who it was for and how it was accessed and what the future of energy would look like in Aotearoa. In particular, I wanted to do it in the area that I know best, people and culture. I joined as Head of Human Potential and in October 21 accepted the Head of Growth and Performance role and at Kinetics our purpose is to deliver energy services that enable others to power a cleaner and brighter Aotearoa. In terms of how energy, humanity and technology intersect, today from a people perspective, I'm going to focus on the very real war for talent. And have no doubt, in this war for talent, the energy sector is on the front lines fighting not just for individuals with traditional skills which ensure that our electricity keeps being generated and transmitted, distributed and consumed, but for the human skills that will be required to change the way that we do all of that. Over the years I have navigated the peaks and troughs of the employment market. In any given year employers can pick and choose the cream of the crop with very little effort. In another year, like right now, employees have all the control and have free reign over where they choose to deliver their mahi. They have choice, and I don't see that changing in a hurry. As energy sector protagonists, we need to be as attractive as possible to talent, and therefore our storytelling needs to be as compelling and authentic as it can be. I'm not sure whether it's just my experience in the electricity sector, but there seems to be a large cohort of people who spend a lot of time looking backwards and who would prefer that things don't change. I'll just put it out there and say that these people are not our future. At Kinetics, the humans we are seeking to transform our business from jobbing contractor to a future energy services leader must be connected to our purpose, have the right mindset, aligned values and exhibit the right behaviours. These humans will require the best technology to deliver to the ever-evolving demands of our customers and to meet the expectations of end consumers. The humans we want are anxiously but optimistically looking to the future. They are desperate to contribute to how they can make it better to help right the wrongs of our very recent past with regard to the environment and whose measure of a success involves more than the bottom line. We want people who care not just about safety but about the accessibility and cost of power to the people in our communities who can least afford it. Power poverty, energy equity, all of the things that I'm guessing that the Lumo Farnau cares deeply about. I've worked on employee engagement and on improving the employee experience for many years. Organisations survey and act, or don't act, survey and act. Trying to achieve that elusive incremental effort from their people which is only really pleasant when they're actively and passionately engaged. 
What I've learned over my career is that most times the way to true engagement isn't all about the bells and whistles, but just about clearing up the roadblocks. Put simply, make sure that your processes and systems are easy to use. What that means these days is that we must be leveraging the technology that will support our people to do the simplest tasks and the most complex tasks in a stress-free and time-efficient manner. By eliminating the roadblocks, then we are enabling our people to do the mahi that they were actually employed to do. We must empower our people and trust them to make the right decisions through our policy and processes because if the opposite is in play, then we will never have true engagement and we risk every day the talent in our organisations making a choice with their feet. In the past several organisations I've been in, paper timesheets still exist, paper receipts are attached to paper expense claim forms, paper leave forms are used and projects are managed in Excel and those are just a few examples. Thousands of dollars are spent on administration for simple tasks when these things could be automated, freeing up our tangata to focus on the high payoff activities which truly spark joy for them. My message today is if you want to be even on the field of battle in the war for talent, ensure that one of your top priorities is to implement the technology in your organisations that will enable your people to be successful. It's easy to prioritise and focus on other things, but don't. However, it is not enough to just implement new technology. This has to be done thoughtfully, as just as technology has so much potential to unleash humanity, it has just as much potential to hinder it. For me, there is a perfect parable of this and also of the connection between tangata whenua, energy and technology. And my reference here is the very powerful story of Waihiko by Araki Creative. Waihiko is the atua or goddess of electricity and her story is a wonderful affirmation of the Māori perspective of our connection to the digital and technological realm. Waihiko was the daughter of Tamanua Tira, the son, who was captured by Maui and his brothers in their efforts to make the days longer. When her father was captured, the other Atua, or gods, were reluctant to help Waihiko rescue him. They understood that once Rangi and Papa had separated and created the earth, the Te Tangata, or humanity, was driven to explore however naive they were to their actions on Te Ao Marama, the natural world of life and light. Following Tamanuya Tira's capture, many years passed and his daughter Waihiko observed Te Tangata grow kai, invent tools, value knowledge, their mindfulness towards Whakapapa gave Waihiko hope. But this hope did not last. Humanity's tools and technology rapidly advanced, and they explored how they could harness elemental power for their own use. Sensing great danger, Waihiko watched as Te Aumarama was plunged into the darkness. In that darkness, her mother's voice consoled her, and with a quiet confidence, Waihiko revealed herself to humanity for the first time as a bright light contained within the invention of the light bulb. As the art of electricity, Waihiko could help humankind realise its potential in the years to come, radios, batteries and machines were created. Then came computers and the internet. Te'ira Tangata's knowledge expanded further than ever before, but these advances also brought great suffering to Te Awa Marama, and the consequences were devastating. The other Atua called out for change. Tafiri Matia, Tangaroa, Hinimoa, Tamanui Tira and Ruamoko swelled, flooded, heated and twisted the earth. Hearing these calls, humanity sought guidance and renewable energy was born. Wind, hydro, tidal and geothermal energy. Finally, humanity released to Manuatira, Waihiko's father, and together they created solar energy. Today, Waihiko powers much of the modern world. How we interact with Waihiko and all Atua impacts to Aomarama. Our actions can harm to Aomarama just as they can enrich it for generations to come. 
I retell the story today as the perfect illustration of how energy, humanity, technology and te ao Māori can and should intersect. As we move through our own energy kaupapa, I encourage you to think about the lessons to be learned in the story of Waihiko and the impact we can have in all of our mahi to enrich and protect te ao marama. Te kaha me te wairua. Energy flows where attention goes. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Kia ora. Ko mayon te maunga, ko ilog pasig te awa. No Manila me tamaki makaura aho, ko dui sakai and toka ingoa. No reira, tēnā koutou katoa. My name is Dewey and I champion climate justice through law, policy and grassroots campaigning. I am currently the co-chair of Generation Zero, a youth-led climate advocacy group most known for pushing for climate laws and policies such as the Zero Carbon Act. For the last eight years, I worked as a youth delegate at the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, COP negotiations, researched and published policy briefs about disaster management, sold EVs via Tesla, and worked as a lawyer where I also assisted in the judicial review to stop Mill Road. I am extremely honored to be part of the first LUMO Symposium on Energy and Humanity and use this platform to represent youth and challenge you all to use your skills, talents, and powerful positions to create meaningful impact for climate justice. My aim is to impress upon each of you not just the urgency of the youth's call to action, but also push you to start thinking about how you can involve youth and the people most likely to be impacted by climate change in the just transition of the energy sector. I want to set the scene by recounting how I started my climate journey. In November 2013, Super Typhoon Haiyan hit the Philippines. It destroyed lives and livelihoods in the Visayas region. I was in my second year of law school when news about the deadliest typhoon hit my home country. I then project-managed relief drives in my community in Tamaki Makoro and flew to Tacloban to volunteer. When I landed in Tacloban, I saw houses toppled, body bags on the road, container ships aground, all the power poles toppled, and all the trees flattened. For the next few days, I volunteered in the emergency tents where mothers who lost their kids and kids who lost their parents receiving counseling. With no power, clean source of water, or even a proper place for people to sleep in, the Filipinos left on the island were in a dire state where their basic necessities were not being met at a time when they were most vulnerable. These images and their stories opened my eyes to climate justice, so I've been volunteering for different climate organizations since then. It also made me realize the crucial role that energy security plays directly after a typhoon and throughout the period they are rebuilding and rehabilitating. More importantly, it solidified the fact that climate change impacts are not something we can dismiss as being in the future. People are being affected now. What disappointed me when I came back to New Zealand in 2014 was that everyone seemed to go about their business as usual. People understood that climate change is a global problem, but perhaps it was because deadly typhoons and cyclones were only happening in our Pacific and Southeast Asian neighbors, 
that Kiwis were quick to dismiss climate action as something we can slowly do. Even worse, I still hear really dangerous rhetoric that nothing we do here in New Zealand can make a dent on the scale of the global climate crisis. With New Zealand being in the top 20 countries in the OECD with the highest carbon footprint per capita, the notion that whatever we do will not make any impact is definitely false. Aotearoa is a close neighbor to Asia Pacific, so we are already in the front lines of defending the global south from the impacts of climate change. As Lee said, energy, humanity, and technology intersect in the employment space, particularly in the war for talent. If you're looking to engage and attract young people to be your future employees and customers, then you should know that for us, delay is the new climate denial. And every young person's eyes are on you to do the right thing now. Due to my background in law and campaigning, I would argue that attracting talent and reducing climate litigation risk are interconnected. We all know the trend that the pandemic has started, the Great Resignation. The Edelman survey found that one in three people have left their job because their employer failed to take a stand. More significantly, 67% of people between the ages of 18 to 34 and 61% of people between the ages of 35 and 54 now choose to leave, avoid, or consider employers solely on their values and beliefs. Therefore, for the leaders in this symposium, taking a stand and being committed to acting on societal and climate injustice is the bare minimum. This shift in mindset across your present employees, future employees, and stakeholders could be your make or break, because the youth of today are serious about questioning an organization's social license to operate if they are not seen to be protecting our future. This symposium presents an opportunity for you to listen, learn, and innovate with others in the energy sector. It also presents an opportunity for you to include in your just transition journey, the youth and the vulnerable communities, such as people with disabilities, elderly, and other demographics who are currently experiencing energy poverty. To guide you on how to start thinking about just transition and how to address climate change in a just, fair, and inclusive way, I challenge you to firstly think about decolonization. Uncover the privileges and dehumanizing impacts of climate change and where energy plays a pivotal role to resolve those injustices. Secondly, think about the power you hold and how you could use it to affect long-term structural change. Use your brand power and market power to shape consumer behavior and work with policy decision makers. Thirdly, enable the youth by including them in those changes so that you can co-design your just transition journey. And finally, show us how serious you are in the climate justice kaupapa. Show us that you are an organization who will take a stand and who will hold yourselves to account. The voluntary disclosures under the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or the TCFD, presents a valuable opportunity to use carbon accounting to know where your organization stands now, being transparent about it through disclosure, and being intentional in how and what you will change to reduce your organization's carbon footprint. So with the scene and the youth's call to action set in place, I look to all of you to work together 
and alongside one another towards climate justice. Maraming salamat. Ngamahi noi korua for sharing your story and perspective on the intersection of energy and humanity. Keep an eye out for our other LUMO podcasts exploring the big ideas facing energy. We have an esteemed lineup of speakers from across energy, tech, law, humanities and more, challenging the status quo in service of positive energy future for Aotearoa. Go to energyacademy.co.nz forward slash LUMO for more or check us out on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn.